It's 9 o'clock and time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Smith and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning and welcome. Thanks for tuning in today. We're very grateful for that. Hope you'll make it a habit to tune in every uh, Sunday morning here on WPSL. We're on every Sunday morning from, from 9 until 10 with a live call-in show. We are just Christians. My name is Mike Schmidt, as you just heard. I'm the preacher and one of the elders of the church here. And Gary Jones is the other elder and uh, my co-host. How are you doing, Gary? I'm here this morning, Mike, this nice, cool, beautiful morning. Yes, it is. I I, I don't like any weather numbers that start with a four, as I told you, Gary. But, <laughs> it, you know, it, it's, it's still tolerable because it gets up into the sevens a little later in the day. But... We're glad that you can be here with us. Hope you can stay for the hour. This, as I mentioned, this is a live call-in show. And We Are Just Christians is about anything that's on your mind, particularly of a spiritual nature. And, of course, we don't really have uh, any boundaries. Or, you know, the idea that, oh, this is religion, that's politics. Uh, those are artificial boundaries. I was corresponding well, let me just get, let me give, don't get into that right now, Gary, but, but there's no, there's no uh, discrete boundaries here. We'll talk about whatever subject you want to talk about. Uh, we do want to preface everything by looking at what does the Bible say about that? What do the scriptures say? Because that's the premise of the show, that we can go back to the first century documents in the New Testament and find out how we ought to live today and find out how the church ought to operate today, both as individuals and uh, as a group. And whether it's recreating the New Testament church, as I often say, or I was talking with one of my mentors this week, Gary, and he said, well, it's more like planting a seed, which, of course, that's the metaphor that I use all the time. We're, we're trying to plant the same seed that Jesus and the apostles planted in men's hearts. And that seed, the Word of God, when planted properly in a, in a good soil, will bring forth the fruit that God desires, a Christian. And so that's the idea. And not the doctrines and covenants and synods and creeds and traditions of men, but what does the New Testament say? So we're going to try to, uh, to take what you ask us and talk about uh, some Bible principles or specific Bible scriptures that deal with that subject so you can have something that you can consider. And we promise you if you call in, by let me give you the numbers. Uh, you can reach us here in WPSL, 772-340-1590, 772 772- Three four zero, one five nine zero is the call-in number. Uh, Ray there at the station will patch you through to us here in our uh, in our little office, little studio room at the church building, and then we'll have a conversation. And by that I mean we're going to let you talk and ask your question. We'll respond and maybe ask some follow-up questions, ideally, and we'll have a conversation. If we agree, great. We can learn from each other. If we disagree, great. We can learn from each other. And we promise we're not going to bait you or antagonize you. We're going to give you the last word. So you can feel free to call in, whatever may be on your mind, even if it's something you've been personally struggling with. I'm sure there's others that have the same uh, question or difficulty. So 772-340-1590 is how you get a hold of us. You can also reach us by text during the show. My text number, Mike's, is 772-260-1590. 6120, 772-260-6120. And Gary's text number is very similar, 772-260-6220. You can text us during the show. If possible, we'll either refer to your text or respond to it. Uh, sometimes it's not possible or because we are just got too many things going on or something happens, we don't see it. So in any event, we'll try to we'll answer you later. If you would like to um, 
text us during the week or email us during the week, you can do that. We don't mind that at all. The email address is justchristians at att.net. Justchristians at att.net. I try to check, check that email at least once a day, sometimes a couple times a day, and we'd be glad to hear from you by email. So that's kind of the parameters of the show. We are just Christians. And as I said, we're glad you're listening. Now, um, I guess I was kind of getting off. and just, we don't, We're going to get to the subject Gary has in mind here in just a moment. But uh, I, was, I was telling somebody this week that um, this idea we have in our culture that there's this sharp line between the religious and the political uh, just is historically an anomaly. Almost no culture has ever had this idea before. And there's some merit to the idea. Don't, don't get me wrong. There is a difference. But on the, we're not up here in this pulpit uh, uh, preaching the party lines of the Republican or the Democratic Party. And we're not endorsing particular candidates uh, on their positions on tax policy and things like that. But, but on the are, other hand... But we the, are here preaching the morality that Jesus and well, yes, God the question us in the Bible. Well, well, is abortion a political or religious topic? Well, it's both, both. isn't it? Right. Okay? And there are lots of topics like that 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 cross both lines. And I'm not going to not talk about abortion because somebody says it's a political topic and you're talking about politics. Well, if dishonesty and and lying and bribery is part of politics, is also a moral issue. People get upset about the character of our politicians. They're upset with me for talking about uh, religious or moral things, well, those, those aren't political topics. Those are religious topics, character, morals, and lying, and deceit, and corruption. And so I bring to bear, or tweet, Gary and I try to bring to bear the, what we know from the Bible and spiritual things onto all of life, every part of life. You don't, you don't have a religious life or church life and a home life. They, they go together. And I can't be one thing at home and another thing at church or vice versa. Or uh, that's just simply not how it is. Um, and so all these things bear, the Bible bears on every part of human existence because all those things in that sense are spiritual. It determines how I should act at work, how I should act at home, how I should act in, in, in public or in a similar like the church. It determines how I should act and think in all those areas. And, and if I were a politician, how I should act if I were a politician. So, uh, and, and that, I think, Gary, I think that's the real reason that, leftist politicians and thinkers dislike Christianity so much. It's the reason big government dislikes Christianity because of that very premise that we believe that the Bible bears on every part of human life. They want to be able they want to be in control of all aspects of human life. The government does. And when we say and since we won't say I have no king but Caesar, they don't like that. Never are going to like it, and I'm not. I'm not talking about just what's going on in America now. It's always been true that bigger and bigger governments dislike Christianity more and more because of this insistence that you bow the knee to Caesar. And and well, it's it, not going to. We're not. We're not going to bow the knee to Caesar here on this show. And I know most of our listeners aren't either. But basically, the Christian is is admonished, and and we look at it in the Scripture. Christ is our king. Right. He is our master. Something that a lot of people don't like to even think about. We and, are his servants. Right. Exactly. And, and and that's the problem. But but as our king, he tells us to respect those in power. Exactly. And to, and so forth and so on to obey them unless they contradict uh, his law. And so we preach that very thing too. But in any event, 
All topics are on the table here, and we are just Christians. We'd be glad to hear from you. If you'd like to give us a call, 772-340-1590. Okay, Gary, you you, um, had a topic a couple times last week. You you want to go a little further with this topic. I wanted to go a little bit further. We we had talked about John. Hang on. By the way, if you want to change the subject, you feel free to change the subject, you you, you callers. We'd be glad to change the subject. But Gary is going to go talk about something. Well, we started with John 1 and verse 12. And and it's it's a little noted scripture. I haven't heard much taught about it. But we said, what does God do when you believe? I'm going to do just a brief review to get us in line with what we were going. It says in verse 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Now, basically, I had been listening to some things on Sunday morning talking, talking about preaching that, you know, once you believe, you're saved. And that mental acknowledgement of belief uh, is not what this verse teaches. And we went on and we talked about obedience being required. And, and I noted Hebrews 5 and verse 9, talking about Jesus being perfected. He became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So belief and obedience go together. We talked about that. We talked about some of the things he told us to do. We need to c- confess his name before men. Uh, we saw that in, uh, Rome, in Romans and in Luke. We also talked about basically when are our sins forgiven. We were commanded by Jesus to to be baptized and through Peter in Acts 2.38 for the forgiveness of our sins. And we, we basically looked at scripture that said when you're baptized, that's when your sins are forgiven. Now, we didn't touch a lot upon the new man that comes with that baptism. The fact that baptism is a burial. And, Mike, we didn't talk very much about that. But it implies that when you arise from the waters of baptism, you are putting away an old man. You are putting away the old man of sin. And we're putting away a sinful life, part of the repentance that we're commanded to do. This is basically, he tells us in Luke, to to repent as well. Another one of those commandments, turn your mind away from the world. And so what I wanted to go on with a little bit today is the idea that that repentance that change of mind that putting away of the old man needs to continue after we're baptized it needs to continue after we have confessed his name before men it needs to continue after we have made up our mind to repent and change our direction it needs to continue after we believe that jesus christ is the son of god and that he was uh, crucified and raised again on the third day. Those are some of the things that we believe. And that needs to continue, and he's given us other commands rather than those. He says, at this point, I'll forgive your sins, but he expects you to continue. One of those things is in uh, is basically in the Hebrew letter. And he talks about, without faith, it is impossible to please him. And I believe that's uh, Hebrews 11 and 6, Mike. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. That's that mental acknowledgement part. Basically, we must believe that God is, that there is a God, and that he will reward us. But he rewards those who diligently seek him. And this is kind of what I wanted to go into today more more about that. What does it mean to diligently seek God? Okay. And 
you know, we've, we've said as a part of our lesson here on the, on the show in the morning is John 12 and 48. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. What the scripture is basically saying is Jesus himself told us the things that are going to be we're going to be judged based on and passed that on to his apostles who later wrote letters and all of those things that we are told that we need to understand and do and will be judged upon in the last day are contained in the scripture and that scripture is where we need to look for what Jesus would have us do and what he would have us continue in so that that's basically the point I wanted to make. And I wanted to point out some of those scriptures this morning about telling us to seek those things and continue in those things. And I'd like our listeners to, you know, make note of Colossians 3, uh, beginning in verse 1. It says, if then you were raised with Christ, talking about coming up out of the waters of baptism. This is if you go look at the context of this. Seek those things which are above. Where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden in Christ. Basically, we died to sin, he says in other places. Then when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He's saying, set your mind on things above. Seek those things which are, which are above. Where do we find those things, Mike? We find them in the scripture. So, just like Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness in Matthew 6, 33. What he's talking about there is seek the things of God. But seek those things first. Not later. Don't seek your own things first. Seek the things of God first. And this is where we're coming. But how do you find out what those are? Because of the implication in Romans 2, beginning in verse 5, he talks about the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. Notice, what, what are you seeking for? What are we as Christians seeking for when we do those good things, we're seeking for glory, honor, and immortality. immortality. Uh, not to die, but basically to live with Jesus forever. But, to the, but in verse 8, he says to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, and of the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Basically, we, we could take a chase this rabbit, Mike, and go talk about just exactly what Je- Paul is saying there. Jesus said also, you know, there is neither male nor female, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither rich or poor, there is neither slave nor free in Christ. There is no distinction made exactly. in those. In their stand, in, the in their standing stand before, before God. God, right? Exactly, or how He judges them. Right. So, how is He going to judge them? He's going to judge them on the words that are that He spoke through Christ and the apostles. 
So basically, Mike, that's where I want to go. The importance of understanding what the Bible says that we should do. He says in one place, and I don't have this passage before me. I'm, I'm kind of winging this one, Mike. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. And then he lists several things. That's Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Okay, so. I, I don't have it right in front of me. But basically, he's saying, let this mind be in you, which is the same mind that is in Christ. You know, Mike, I was once criticized for saying that I ought to learn how to think like Jesus because he said I was being uh, basically arrogant and trying to be God. Right. And, and, and that's what basically the Scripture tells us to do. We, we have need, the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. That, that was the subject I had a few weeks ago in the sermon, Gary. You know, things hating. Uh, I forgot the name of it exactly. You can look up hate in, the, in our index on uh, sermons on wearejustchristians.com. There's the idea that we have to hate the things that Jesus hates and love the things that he loves. That's putting on the mind of Christ. And right. that's, that's our job. Um, you know, that's, that's, and that's a common theme, I think, both in the Old Testament and the New. I think Psalm, let me, let me see if I can look this up real quick. Uh, help me out here. I think it's Psalm 15. There's a phrase in Psalm 15 that uh, tells us to despise or look down upon the evil person. That's one of the things that we should do. Yeah, we can't hold them up as if they're some kind of an example. And of course, right. that's what's continually done to us in movies, TV, and literature and everything is holding up wicked people as if they're some kind of icons and examples. And, uh, right. you know, but they're not, they shouldn't be to us. We don't have to hate them as a person, wish them ill. But on the other hand, uh, we don't have to support them and think of them as some kind of an example or whatever uh, just because they can strum a guitar or sing or something or dance, which is what we do. And, and, and so we exalt these people that don't, we, need to, we need to look down you know, because they're wicked. They're promoting wickedness. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm going to read the entire Psalm 15. It's only five verses. But it basically kind of gives you a synopsis of the person that God wants you to be. He says in the first verse, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle or who may dwell in your holy hill? Basically, that's saying who is going to live with God? Do we as Christians want to live with God when we die? And I think the answer is yes. In verse 2, he says, he who walks uprightly. Now, that covers a lot of ground. And works righteousness, that covers a lot of ground. And speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue... How do we see that going on today in, in our media? Mercy. Mm-hmm. I just it, it breaks my heart looking at some of these things. Nor does evil to his neighbor. How many people are we talking about that we see jump at the chance to do evil to their neighbor, take advantage of their neighbor? Right. Nor does he take up a reproach against his friend in, I, in whose eyes a vile person is despised. There's that line that we just talked about. He says, but he who honors those who fear the Lord. Do we honor Christians in our society today? He says, but he who honors those who fear the Lord. Christians should be fearful of the Lord in, in the terms of respect and following him. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Now, how many times do we say I'll do something and find out, well, that may not be advantage to me and figure out all kinds of excuses not to do it. I'll have to say my dad 
was a contractor uh, back in our home hometown for many years. He never had written contracts. He had handshakes. Mm-hmm. And from time to time, he made a contract that he didn't make a profit on, but he did not change. His word was what he said he would do. And whether he made the profit or not, he did it. Well, you know what the, what they say in contracting? Another, what, what the guy with the low bid is, don't you? He's the guy wondering what he left out. Right. For God. <laughs> oh, and that happens to you. An honest yeah. man lives up to his word. And does it. And does it. And, and a dishonest man then wants to shift the blame to somebody else or get out of the contract or just walk away. You know, so, Gary, I made a, while you're talking there, I, I just took one word, the word continue, or continued in various forms of that. Right. Looked at that word in the New Testament, and I got in a whole long list of passages here. Oh, so did I, but I couldn't. Th- I couldn't th- throwing think. out all the ones that have nothing to do with what our subject yeah. is. About this idea of people continuing uh, in the word. Because the popular religious idea, I don't know if you realize you're touching on this or not, you probably do, that is in the religious world is that once you become a Christian, you can never be lost again. All it takes is saying that magical uh, prayer, why they call it the uh, sinner's prayer, and then you're saved and you can never be lost again. Well, this I, is what's I, commonly taught. I thought and the about Bible that. does not teach that at all. I thought about that, but I thought when we get through with this, it's going to be intuitively evident that that's not the case. That's not, hopefully it will be, but you know, it's funny because I've read uh, many books written by Calvinists who believe that very thing I'm talking about, and they, and they just quote these kind of passages without really dissecting them at all. Uh, you know, so here, Jesus, for example, in John eight thirty one, in the King James says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who, which believed on him, there's our belief. Right. If you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed. So here's people that believe. And Jesus tells those people who already believe him, if you continue in my word, then you're my disciples. That's something they had to do. There's no way to take the, the Greek or English construction of that sentence. And make something and, else And make it. something the idea that Christ was going to force them to continue against their will and they can never go back on it. He's warning them not to go back on, on exactly. what they're... And he's telling them that belief directly implies that you're going to continue in it. And when you stop continuing, it's an evidence of unbelief. And we've already, talked, we've already talked about disobedience is the equivalent of unbelief. Uh, in John fifteen nine, as the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Or can, King James says, continue in my love. Abide in means continue. Yeah. So now does that imply by its very, the very nature of the statement that it's possible for them not to continue in his love? That it's something that they had control over? If they had no control over whether they abided in his love or not, why does he tell them to do it? See, these things make no sense written in any way unless you believe the little TULIP acronym and you force your belief on the text. But reading these kind of texts in both Greek and English, you see it's obvious that there is an urgency to them personally continuing in continue in those things. Not that they was going to happen automatically because they became a believer and God was just going to give them this continuance. Well, let me let me pick up something here that, you know, 2 Timothy 3, verse 14, talking specifically to Timothy in what he was teaching in his evangelical work, he says, but you must continue in the things which you have learned. And he talks about from Paul. He says, you must continue in the things you learned. 
James says in James 1.25, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. All, all of these things, you know, they're not, they're not as direct. There as must be 25 verses I listed here. I didn't even have the one that you just quoted in First Timothy that I looked, I overlooked as I searched. But, uh, well, I can search several versions at once here. Uh, and in most of these kind of searches, a tip for the people who are listening, if you're doing these kind of searches, if you'll put part of a word, like if you put the word continue in there, most of these search engines will only give you that continue. exact word. But if you stop at the word contend and you put an asterisk there, that tells it to search for any words that are the same and then any other endings like continually, continue, right. continues, uh, continuing, you know, all, the op- all the other forms of the word, you can get all of those. And, that y- and yet you might not have the same, of course, you don't always have the same Greek or Hebrew word. But, but there's just so many of these that Paul exhorts them to continue in the faith, and and uh, they can the early disciples and makes a point to say about them that they continued steadfastly in one accord. Well, if that's being forced upon them by God's grace, that they what irresistible grace is forced upon them? Why does he make a point of that? Of course, they continued steadfastly. They couldn't help it. They had no choice because they were they were believers. So now they were going to be saved no matter what they did. But apparently, apparently the implication is that if you don't continue in my word, then you are not my disciples and you'll be cast off. Well, look at Colossians 1. Uh, I'm, I'm going to take you there for a minute. Colossians 1, I'm going to begin in verse 21. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled, talking about Jesus, in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in right. the faith, grounded and steadfast. Correct. And that's the big word, if, there. It's a big word. Smallest two-letter word, biggest two-letter word in the English language. And We're Romans 11.22. I think we used this, or you might have used this recently, Romans, and this is taken out of larger context. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fail severity. But toward you, goodness, if you continue Continue. in his goodness. Otherwise, you'll also be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, but will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. So here it goes both ways. And who has control over that? Well, you do. God will help you and so forth, but you you have to take control of this situation. Well, that's going back to that to the, degree the, the very, that you make you choose to do what's good and continue. That with goes these back to the very verse I started with in in John one and twelve. He gives you upon belief the power, the ability to become a child of God. Right now, you know, Gary, this is a, kind of a side point. It's an important side point to me because when I when when you bring up some of the verses from the Old Testament or other examples. People say, well, yeah, that was the old law. But under Christ's law, you know, we only have grace. And so, therefore, you can't use Old Testament examples of God being severe with them in the Old Testament or God punishing this kind of disobedience like Nadab and Abihu. Or the pe- but, but right here, the inspired apostle uses the biggest example of God destroying people who are unfaithful to him in the Old Testament. 
the inspired apostle uses this example. He reaches back so right into the Old Testament. Yeah, don't try to tell me that I can't go back to the Old Testament to learn the lessons that are there. In Paul fact, did. Romans 15 says that's what the purpose of it is. And that's exactly what Paul and many of the apostles did. They reached right, right. back into that Old well, he Testament. He said these were written for our learning. Exactly. On whom the ends of the ages are come. So and, uh, there is this, there's all of these passages here uh, about, for example, in Colossians uh Colossians 3:21 that you once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works there's the mind and the body working together the works yet now is he reconciled in the body of his flesh you through the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless if indeed verse 23 Colossians 3 if indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and are and not are, moved and away and not moved from away the from the, the hope of the gospel which so, you heard yeah so so this is something that, that you you have some power over now, i'm not saying here that people have can save themselves but they do have a, an, a power to obey god or to disobey to believe or disbelieve to continue or not continue now of course people are influenced by satan he's a powerful creature and there's a lot of wicked influence in the world but god gives you his spirit to help you overcome that. Not to overcome it for you completely so that you do nothing, as is taught in, in denominational churches. But you have something to do. So this continuing is something that you do, right? That's the point exactly. you're making here. something that you do. Take heed to yourselves in 1 Timothy 4.16, Paul says. And to your doctrine, he says to, to, to Timothy, continue in them, for in doing you'll save both yourselves and those who hear you. And they're just, I've, I've got a whole bunch more. I don't want to uh, bore our listeners with them. But if you just did a search, you would see not only the ones that Gary's read and I read, but there's many more of this idea that uh, a person has to not only believe, but they have to continue. When, when you believe, now you, you do receive God's help in obeying him. And you now have access to his spirit through the word that can change your heart, make it easier to continue. But you can turn your back on that. Well, I think basically what did we say about uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 11? That's my point in, in what he's saying in the last part of that. We have to have the faith. Basically, the faith is the motivator for doing all of this. Without right. faith, we don't even begin. Uh, I mean, I think that's what he implied in Mark sixteen sixteen when he said, uh, He who uh, believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who believeth not, what, is lost or condemned already. Uh, you, you have no motivation. When he says in Hebrews, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he comes to God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There's a part of, of us that must diligently seek God. Right. Now, what does he mean, diligently seek God? It means, I think he's saying, we need to diligently seek what God would have us do. And so that's what these verses are saying. You have to continue in that. You, you have to continue in that diligently seeking as well as continue in, the, in what you know and understand. You have a similar reference that I've used many times before uh, in, in this regard. It doesn't have the word continue in it. But it's really a death knell to those who teach that uh, once you believe you can never fall away or be lost. And that's from the mouth of Jesus himself. In Luke eight fifteen, in speak in the parable of the sower, he says, "But the ones that fell on the uh, among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go." Uh, not, that's wrong. Excuse me. 
verse 13. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy and have no root, who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. So there's somebody not continuing. They're believers, but they only believe for a while because they fall away in time of temptation or trial. And that, that shows from Jesus' own mouth that believers can be lost. People say, oh, if you're really a believer, you can't be lost. Well, now, Jesus says these people are believers, so I'm not going to let you can argue with him about that. But they fall away because they don't continue in following him. And that's what, the, that's what you're getting exactly. at. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that's an important passage. Well, I think uh, if you go book. on in that, he talks about those who uh, fell among the thorns and were, you know, they grew and and began to grow and began to understand. Now, I have to believe that suggests that those were ones who believed and yet they were choked. And did not continue. They're the ones that did not continue as well as the ones that fell on the rocks. But they didn't continue for a different reason. They were choked out by basically what Paul says in a couple of places, by the desires of the world. So those are the things we need to look to. Now, I know, Mike, we probably haven't gone but about half the show with this, but... I think these are very important points. And, and like you said, there, I don't think there's a point in reading all of these scriptures. Like you said, I, I have a big list here too. Um, but I only filtered out a few of them because they had to do with Paul's writing to Christians and Paul's writing to both Timothy and Titus. I think I'm going to put together a lesson on this, Gary. And I, You know, sometimes it, tr- tr- trying to persuade people uh, about a subject you know, when I was in junior high and high school in debate, in college, all through college and coaching debate, you know, the whole object there is persuasion and learning about that. When I've been trying to, when you try to persuade somebody on something, there is a method that you can use where you just boom, 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 hammer the same point. And, and almost on every page of the Bible, this idea that people uh, have control over their own destiny to the degree that humans can and that it's not all up to God is, uh, is there. And especially this idea that, that you can be lost is there. And it just over and over, people have written books on this subject. And yet people, it, it, suits, their, it suits their emotional you know, comfort level to say, well, that's what the Methodist doctrine says. That, that it's the most wholesome that, doctrine. Therefore, that we are saved by faith only is a ho- most wholesome doctrine and very full of comfort. Because the comfort is if we're saved by faith only, and God gives you, and in their teaching, God gives you that faith. You don't even have to get the faith on your own. God chooses who he's going to give the faith to, gives them that faith, and then they're saved and they can never be lost. Of course, that's comforting. That's not the question. The question is, is it true? Well, is it a false it, comfort? Yes, it is, because it's not simply not a true doctrine. And you can see this over and over and over and over again. The, the, the exhortations to continue in something and to stop doing sin and so forth mean nothing and all the uh, warnings about being lost are written to people who are at that point saved they apparently mean nothing in plain english if the doctrine of calvinism or once saved always saved is true so it's a it's a stark warning to all of us we don't like it yes we can fall and i have seen men and women who uh, tried to live a good life and did and, and were examples and so forth and it's just hard to believe what they end up doing the way they throw away their salvation. And there's no other way to explain it except that, you know, they 
they eventually chose not to believe what God said. Or that he was a diligent, he was a rewarder of them who seek him. Now yeah, that, that means he's not going to reward, he's going to reward those who don't seek him too. We can lose sight of the reward. Yes. And and that's one of the things that I'm I'm saying here. Now, one of the things that I think we would go on with in a different show is what are some of the things that we encounter in the world that we need to make proper judgments of and proper use of God's word so that we we do basically we need to obey what God has told us so what what are some of the things that we need to obey what are some of the things that we need to consider I, I think that's probably a subject for a different show but or another uh, you know a future show but basically the idea that we need to continue and we need to continue to seek what God's word is and after all I think that's what what in my view that's what this show is about if you're out there listening and you want to seek what God says pick up your Bible begin to read and I'll guarantee that when you begin to read you will have questions and what Mike and I are here for is to help you answer those questions with scripture not what we personally believe Though that's going to enter into part of it, but we want to guide you with Scripture, not with anything else. Is well, that? Yes, that, that's, that's, it, that's it. And and uh, to realize that it's it's a lifelong process that you're undertaking, and you're going to have to follow that process where it takes you. Now it does take obviously eventually learning to look at things in the proper way as far as interpreting God's Word. Uh, you know, we believe in using different passages to kind of tie things together but you can jerk things out of their context misunderstand them it's not the whole big subject you know you've heard the illustration gary of um someone who says uh, judas the passage says judas went out and hanged, hanged himself, himself. then the other passage says go thou and do likewise well now you can put those two scriptures together pulled out of context and yes you can make the bible say something like that which it, it doesn't say uh, even though you're quoting the Bible like Satan did in Matthew 4 with Jesus. When Jesus objected to his first temptation, Satan came back and quoted the Bible to him. When Jesus said, I'm not going to make these rocks uh, into pieces of bread, these stones into bread, he said, you shall live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Well, Satan came back and quoted the scripture to him out of context about casting himself off the temple, you see. Yeah, and and, so, and, so you got to understand you can't just take a scripture. You have to understand it in its context and for what it really means. And that involves work. Well, it involves and in how, how do these different scriptures apply to my situation right now in life? You, you, you quoted that passage. Uh, I, I mean, you quoted the, the, I believe it's the Methodist doctrine that, uh, that we are saved by faith alone or faith, yeah, faith only alone, is, yes. is the most wholesome doctrine. Then I would go back to James 2. The only place that faith only or, or faith alone is used in the scripture says we're not saved by faith right. alone. And I don't have that right in front of me again, but it's, it's James. James 2.24. James 2.24. So, so you've got to take that in this context, look at what he's saying, and, and, try, and then you have to put that together with passages talk about talk about being saved by faith or saved by grace. And... Learn the meaning of English words. When you say we're saved by faith alone, you can't come back and say we're saved by grace alone. And yet people do this all the time. 
The word alone means alone. Only means only. Now, now, I know that they would make some nuance, but stop giving people a creed to go by that doesn't even make sense in the plain English language. And I'm not trying to be a dunce here or be a legalist about how I apply language, but words mean things. And alone means alone. And, and you know, there are types of uh, ultra-dispensationalists, Gary, who really object to the common Baptist teaching of believe in Jesus Christ and say the sinner's prayer. Because they say, if you believe in faith alone, you're adding a prayer to that. And you can that's a work of man. Saying a prayer is a work that you're having somebody do. And so they would reject the sinner's prayer or praying at all. Once you mentally acknowledge that Jesus is the Lord, you're saved from that point on irrevocably. And I've had debates with people about this in, in groups of pe- big groups of people about this very subject. Uh, and, of course, I didn't believe in the sinner's prayer either, which kind of surprised them. I, I believed in more than the sinner's prayer. You've got to not only, you know, not only have to, to repent, but you have to confess and be baptized, you see. Well, how then did Paul say in Romans 2, and, you know, basically he says in Romans 2 and beginning verse 5, wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. You know, 1 Corinthians 4 says we'll be... I think it's first thing. So I have to look it up here. It says we'll be judged by the deeds done in the body, whether it be yes, good or right. bad. Doesn't make a distinction there between believer and unbeliever. And strangely enough, so in, in even if context. you admitted that prayer was uh, was a deed or a work, uh, he's saying you got to continue doing good works, right. more than one. Now I understand that their their position on that is that that God gives you the good works, and that's something that's done after you become a Christian. But there's too much evidence to the contrary that he's also talking about doing what God says. Now, see, here's the thing. Doing what God says is not a work that the Bible objects to. It's not a work of man. It's something that you do. Ergos is the word for energy in, in English. comes out of the Greek word for work. It's not something energy. you can boast. It's not something that you can boast about. You're simply doing what God told you to do. Other people make up their own good deeds to do. And since they make them up, that's called a work, that's a work of man. That's what the gospel objects to. You can never be saved by that. Just you, you just well, I've done so many sins, so I'll do so many prayers. You're not going to be ever be saved by that because you can never make up for the sins you've done. You need the grace of Jesus Christ and His forgiveness, and you need to be buried with Christ in baptism. And has those sins washed away? Then begin to serve Him. Well, it, it, this parable that Jesus talks about in Luke 17, I think in verse seven, you you may be familiar with it. Uh, and he says, to which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down and eat to eat. But he will not, but rather, but will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper, gird yourself and serve me until I have eaten and drunk and afterwards you will eat and drink. Does he think that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? Does he thank that servant because of he did the things commanded of him? I think not. That was Jesus' word. So likewise, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have 
done what is our duty to do. Yeah, when we do everything that God could possibly ask of us, we're still just unprofitable servants. We've only done what was our duty. I think that's the whole point. We're not earning anything. That that passage goes right with Ephesians 2 when Paul says, not by works by which we can boast. Those works are not profitable. You're saved by grace and faith, but what motivates you and what God wants to see is your faith through the works. That passage in... in, in, uh, James 2 begins with, basically, I will show you my faith by my works. God wants to see your faith. I believe that's true. Right. God wants to see your faith in what you do. Now, we had a text from uh, John here, a couple texts, Gary. Let's see, let's, let's see if we can work this in. Okay. It it's um, might take us in a different direction. He says, Matthew twenty five thirty five shows who gets in by deeds. But that's the one that says the king will say to those on his right hand in the judgment day, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom I'm prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me in prison and so forth. So then he ends up saying to them, Inasmuch as you did it to the least of these my disciples, you did it unto me. So John is saying that's showing who's getting in, and anyone can do those deeds. It doesn't take some supernatural ability, and I agree with that. These are things that humans can do, right? And that's what we should be doing. Now, I would say in the context of Matthew 25, in, a broad, in the broad sense, he's speaking to Jews who already were, in that sense, God's children, and he's telling them, this is how I'm going to ju- judge those who are, are mine or who are not mine. And he's saying there were people that were saying they, that they, they didn't do any of these things to anybody, and they wondered why they were lost. So, yes, a part of being saved is doing what Jesus wants you to do, showing love to all and compassion and kindness. That's what he's saying. And you're going to be judged by those deeds. Not by, you're not going to be judged whether you said a sinner's prayer or not, necessarily. Now, you've got to come into Christ. This is what we learn a little bit later after Matthew 25. You've got to come into Christ, have your sins washed away, be sanctified, be justified. And then you've got to continue is the point you're making. Yes. Continue in the grace that God has given you and in the words that Jesus speaks. Well, he, then you can be saved. He, he, he commands us to do some things that he wants to see first. That's basically how I'm going to have to put it. Right. Well, and, and, and part of doing continuing in is doing the things that Jesus says right here. That's part of the continuing. Yes. The, these are the continuance of those things. You know, what did Jesus say? He talked about only when we've done what's commanded of us. What did Jesus command in Matthew sixteen sixteen? He said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now, and yet, then he goes on to talk about the apostles say that, of course, in Acts 2 and Romans 6. But they also then talk about us continuing in doing well and not grow weary in well doing. And that's what Jesus is speaking of here in Matthew 25. Because there's a lot of Christians who would say, and especially the ones that you teach, that once you're saved, you're always saved, you say the sinner's prayer. They're the ones who will do that and then go on living their life as if nothing matters anymore. They're not continuing in the word. They're, they're not, they're not going to go out and do these things that Jesus said. And why do you do Why does that matter? Well, here's what Jesus tells them. Inasmuch as you did it unto one of these, the least of my disciples, brethren, you did it to me. He's saying what my, I should influence from the time you become a Christian, everything that you do is done to imitate me. And if we stop learning and continuing the things that he 
that he's given us, we won't be able to imitate him. Now, now it goes on, Gary, he says this. Uh, he, he mentions the Matthew seven twenty one shows an example of those who are not getting in. It's an interesting juxtaposition because it says this, this Matthew 7 group lists uh, all the supernatural things. And that's the passage you're familiar with, Gary. And many, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter in the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. For whosoever hears these sayings of not mine and does them, I will liken to a man who built his house on the rock. And he tells us terrible about the house on the rock standing, the house on the sand perishing. And so he, and this is an interesting juxtaposition. I never really thought of, Gary, these two things. These are supernatural things these people are appealing to. We did all these mighty miraculous-looking things, and you should save us because we did all these miraculous-looking things. And yet Jesus points his disciples in Matthew 25 to the ordinary things things. that you can do to please the Lord and to serve him because you're imitating something that he would do on earth. And, And so it's an interesting juxtaposition. People are looking for that supernatural thing, some big thing. And you know, when, when people come to me, Gary, and, and they want to be baptized, uh, different, some people, when they come, want to be baptized, and they talk to me about that, I, I try to make the point with them, now, this is not a spectacle, not going to be an elaborate ceremony, or a spectacle, or some kind of a, a, a high ritual, like it might be in some places. We're going to follow the example of the New Testament. And we're going to, I'm going to ask if you believe that Jesus is God's son. Then we're, we're going to take him. I'm going to dip you under the water and bring you back up. It's very simple. And, um, you know, people who have seen us do this here in this building or other places, sometimes, depending on the religious background, are kind of taken aback by it because it is so, it is so simple. And I believe because that powerful. But it's not something that a person could take some kind of pride in. Look what I did. It's humiliating. That's the point. Getting wet and letting somebody dunk you underwater, it's humbling and it's burying. And that's why people won't do it sometimes, Gary. They want to make sure they can keep their hair all coffeeered and have a little water sprinkled on them and and have a priest say all these fancy things and blow some smoke around, and then suddenly you're going to be saved. It's not like that at all. It's humbling. And so... That may, be, may go along with this, but I appreciate that uh, those texts because I never really thought of the di- the juxtaposition of the of the supernatural things versus, versus the, com- the common things, things that that are that are harder to do in many respects. Well, because it takes you outside of yourself. You can get a lot of praise and glory if you pretend to cast out a demon. You don't get much for you know taking care of the going to jail and visiting those who are in jail. Well, I, I think there's even more of a juxtaposition in some of this. There, there are categories of things. What did Jesus say in Luke 12, 8 and 9? The, the, what is the simple thing? Why, why does he ask us to... You, you see the supernatural things and you see the common things. Now look at this. Where does this stand? Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man will also confess before the angel of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angel of God. There's something God requires that of you. He's saying in both the positive and the negative, unless you 
simply confess me before men, if you do not do that, you're going to be lost. Now, that probably includes that word confessing or type of confession includes more than just that one-time statement at your baptism. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's the confession. That's the good confession that Jesus made before Pilate. But... But all of those goes, things that he listed you can't, is a form of confession. Exactly. And you can't not include that. That's the beginning of that confession. And then we hold fast. The book of Hebrews talks about, Gary, hold fast your confession till the end. We got to hold. There's that continuing. Right. We only looked up. I only looked up the word continue. You know, I didn't, I didn't think look about abide look, and hold fast. I didn't look I mean, up hold there's fast. There's just so. dozens of words like that in the yes. New Testament that all say the same thing. Hold fast your confession to the end. Now, that has to have some uh, meaning as far as what happens to a person once they're a Christian, and yet it's completely ignored by those. That That is uh, Hebrews, early in the book of Hebrews, let me see. Uh, yeah, uh, Hebrews 3, 6 is one of them. But Christ was a son, over, and comparing him to Moses, but Christ as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. We've got to hold it, fa- hold it fast. Hebrews 3.14, we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. So very plain. We yes. become partakers if... We hold fast the beginning, that which we started off with, this great faith we started off with, this great zeal, if we hold that fast until the end. And then Hebrews 4.16, um, seeing that then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So there it is. Hold fast, Hebrews 10.25, let us hold fast the confession or profession of our faith without wavering. Without changing. Without changing. So, so there's just several of them right there, just in the book of Hebrews, that tell us this very thing, that you've got to continue in this. Well, there's a passage that I can't, I'm, I'm trying to think of right now. It says, uh, to him who knows what, is, what God wants him to do and does not do it, to him that is sin. There is a passage like that, and I can't remember exactly um, where that is. Well, I'm, I'm thinking it's in Galatians, but I, I, you got me confused. Um, Hold it. I've got three things in my mind, Gary, okay. and none of them are coming out. Uh, quote that verse again to me. It was, he who knows to do good. To do good and yeah, does I think not that's do it. it is, to him it is sin. It, that's the paraphrase of it. Yes, it's, uh, now why in the world, I'm, I'm quoting both the King James and the some of the other ones. Uh, the, reason, the reason I bring that up, Mike, is... It says, to he who knows what is good and does not do it. When Jesus says to us to confess it, or he says to us, confess with your mouth the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. When he says in Mark sixteen sixteen, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Those are the commands that the Lord gives us to do. Those are good things he's asking us to do. And if we don't do those, what's the consequence? We're, 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 we're not continuing for sure. We're, we're not lost. continuing. Basically, we're not even meeting the requirements of those general things that he said to do. He says there, that passage you're looking for towards in James four seventeen. That's why I wasn't coming to me. I, okay. I kept thinking of, of uh, 
Romans for some reason. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does it not, to him it's sin. Right. So that's that's another reason why we go back. To, I go back to John twelve forty eight. Basically, Jesus says it's going to be my words that are going to judge you in the last day. He's telling you what is good. He's telling you what to do. And what Jesus is telling you to do is the good. It's the truth. By the way, we got uh, a few minutes left, but John texts back in, trying to get me in trouble. I spent many years in the Pentecostal church. These are the Matthew 7 people, the ones who do, want to do all the miracles to impress right. Christ. Throwing oil around, rattlesnakes, falling on the floor, speaking in tongues. Okay, uh, I will say that uh, I'm not going to slander all people of Pentecostal in some way, but I, I think that that's part of it. In dealing with that and having even people that, that I've known closely over the years involved in that, it is the idea of doing a big thing so many times. It's doing the big thing. It's it's the show. It's this is We've got to have this supernatural element in all things that we do, and it, that's what causes so much pain in those churches, the people who, quote-unquote, don't get the Spirit. It's what causes all of the uh, all the problems in those churches with pastors taking advantage of people because they're, they're, they, they get people following because they can do some miracles. It, it, it's a sad situation. And the New Testament church just wasn't like that. It wasn't trying to draw people because they could all be healed. Jesus healed people, a lot of people, to show that you should listen to what he says. But we find in New, later on in the New Testament, not everybody was healed at all. And they did not all have spiritual gifts of healing and so forth. So it's an important thing to, to remember what we're doing here as Christians. It isn't about a show or glamour. It's about doing the kind of things, the simple things, continuing it's, in what Jesus tells you to well, do. Well, it's, it's not about boasting. It's not about having pride in Boy, what you do. Boy, it's so easy to get into that mode, isn't it? And, and that's part of what we're getting into. But I, 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 I want to leave our listeners with the idea that you need to seek what God is telling you to do. You need to seek it diligently and you need to continue in that and you need to not leave out the small commands that you think may be superfluous yeah it's about it's about changing your character to be more conformed as he says to the image of his son it's let this mind be in you right so that's going to take a, a time to do that and yes you're saved by god's miraculous supernatural grace but he didn't have to give to you that that was shown to you uh, not in some feeling you got when you were saved, but it got, it's shown to you in the resurrection of Christ. Right. That's where the supernatural grace of God comes in, is in that supernatural act, the resurrection of Christ. And then he says your salvation is a pattern to that. You die to your sins, to the old man, and you're raised up to walk in newness of life. That means to continue to keep walking in newness of life. Now, we only got a minute or two left, Gary. But well, I'm, I'm just going to say one sum, thing. Sum it up for us here. And we're Basically, the mental acknowledgement that God is and that he is a ruler and that he is a savior, the decision to change your mind and change your direction, the decision to confess with your mouth and the things that you do, Jesus Christ, and the decision to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins is the easy part. Yes. The hard part is hard is, but easy. Yes. It's it's hard to overcome that pride sometimes, but 
basically what we're saying is the continuance in the seeking and the doing of what he says that we should do is the hard part. Well, thanks for listening today. We really appreciate it. Take a look at our website, wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com. Come and be with us. We meet at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. We'd love to have you. We're not going to ask you for money or anything. You just come and get acquainted with some Christians. Thank you so much, and may God bless you. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church on WPSL Port St. Lucie.